Thank you so much, guys. That song encapsulates the testimony of one of my good friends. His name is Brett. His wife's Dee. Their first child died four months old. Several years later, they had triplets. The first one was born normally. The second one that popped out the chute, a mild form of cystic fibrosis, and the third one was severe. The shock to their life was almost unbearable. How you made sense of that on the first day. But then you woke up the second day hoping that that was just a bad dream. But it wasn't. And the third and the fourth and the first month, that man knew the testimony of that song, what it is like to have Jesus as the hope of his soul. Because without him, he said to me, I would never have made it. He sustained me through the most gruelling and numb, numbing times of my entire life. Even though the circumstances were crazy, Jesus was the hope and the anchor of my soul where nothing made sense. Sometimes life's like that. Jesus said, when you're on this earth, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Life's like a marathon. Anybody ever run a marathon? Can I see your hands if you ever have? Okay, about nine of you. And sometimes in the marathon, I've only done triathlons. I haven't done a marathon. But I do know there are times there when every one of you probably felt like quitting. Anybody felt like that? How about the race of life? When something just stuns you, and you just feel like downing tools. One thing I've noticed in a marathon, let's keep with that analogy for a second. Doesn't matter how much skill you've got, doesn't matter how much speed you've got and your strategy, if you do not have endurance, you ain't gonna cross the finish line. Endurance. Without it, you're not gonna get the medal. Now the Bible tells us that God always finishes what he starts. Always. I love that about God. Companies putter out. They promise you they will deliver sometimes varying results, but God delivers on what he says he'll deliver. It says this, first verse on your outline. God, who began the good work within you, will, I want you to circle that word, will continue His work until it is finally finished. Now circle that word will. It doesn't say that God might finish or He hopes to finish the job. It says He will finish it. Now what does that mean? Well, it means if you have really given your heart to Jesus Christ, if you've opened yourself to God and say, Christ, be number one in my life, you are going to make it to heaven. You're gonna make it across the finish line. 
That's amazing. Because you know what? It doesn't depend upon my performance. It depends upon God's sustaining grace. Oh, what a difference. The only question which I'm subsequently interested in as your pastor is how you finish that race. Ever watch the end of a marathon? Some of them boost across the line. Yay! Some are, thank God, and just fall on their face. Different ways of finishing the race. But friends, I don't want you, and God doesn't want you to just finish the race, to just get across the line. My goal is to help you finish the marathon of life well. I want you to enjoy and sense and understand and feel and experience the abundant life God made for us. To figure out what God made you for, not to be pushed and crammed into the mold that the world would try and push you in, but to discover what God has made you for and put you here on this earth for and to do it. And God says, I will help you get to that point. Now, how can we be sure we're going to finish? Well, it's because of God's sustaining grace. And two weeks ago, we looked at the wonderful blessing of God's saving grace. But God doesn't just want to save you. He wants to sustain you through life. He wants you to make it. So question, what is sustaining grace? Sustaining grace is the power to keep on going even when I feel like giving up. That's one way of putting that. Do you ever feel like that? Sustaining grace is the power to do the right thing when you don't feel like doing the right thing. There are some tough spots in the marathon race, regardless of what you go through though. No matter what you face, you can count on God's sustaining grace to be there. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 11. It says, my purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you, great words, that the grace of God is with you no matter what happens. The grace of God was with my friend Brett through an unrelenting trial. So no matter what happens, no matter what happens to you, God's sustaining grace, that Bible says there, God says to you is gonna be with you. Now there are three common things in life that cause you and I to stumble. There are more, but three main ones that'll cause you to pull off to the side of the race and to withdraw and to, or to not finish the race well. But God's sustaining grace says, I can help you through each of these situations. Briefly, I wanna touch on three of them this morning. I can count on God's sustaining grace to help me when I am tempted. God's sustaining grace to help me when I am tempted. Because temptation is one of the first things that can cause us to stumble and to trip up. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Watch out! Now in my house, if somebody says watch out, I duck because something's coming my way. I don't ask why, where, I just duck and take cover. Because somebody's tossing a ball at me or something. It's a missile especially with those long-armed lummoxes that throw javelin in my house. They come pretty quick and fast. Watch out! But this one is for the attacks from the devil. Sometimes we don't talk about this guy much. I don't like to talk about him too much because I don't want to give him too much glory. He doesn't get any. 
He's put in a sandbox. His power's limited. He's not omnipotent. And he's one person. But he's your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for a victim to devour. In other words, Satan wants to eat your lunch, Grant. <laughs> take, no, 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 look at this. He says, take a firm stand against him. No, sissy, don't be unaware, don't be stupid. If you have an opponent, you better be ready. Take a firm stand. This is almost a military term. Take it up against him and stand strong in the faith. Not in the power of your own willpower, but strong in your faith. And you may not realise it at this moment, but the moment you become a believer, a battle starts in your life because the enemy doesn't like the fact that you've swapped sides, that you've betrayed him. You see, before you were once part of his kingdom, now you've moved into a completely different kingdom, the kingdom of light. And you're being reconnected with God. Now, because of that, one of the things, if you ever go, I don't know if you've ever done any sport, particularly... Um, yeah, well, fighting sports or combat sports where you get points. You need to study the enemy and be aware of his tactics so he can land points. He can't land them on you. But to beat an enemy, you have to be aware of his tactics. And one of the devil's tactics, let me tell you right now, Mark, it, is temptation. Temptation. It's where we ask ourselves, am I going to do the right thing or the wrong thing? Am I going to do good or am I going to do bad? Am I going to be selfish or am I going to be unselfish? Those moral temptation um, questions, choices are called temptations. And the Bible says we are all tempted. Everybody in this room is tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. Do you know that? Jesus was tempted. It says he was tempted in all points like we are. But it also says he never sinned. So the good news is this. If Jesus was tempted and he never sinned, it means that it's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin. But it is a sin to give in to temptation. So you cannot control all the thoughts that go through your mind. But you can choose not to dwell on them. In other words, I've said many times before, you can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but you can sure stop them from nesting in your hair. A good example of this, a great example, and a hero of mine, Billy Graham, was once being interviewed on TV. I remember seeing this. And when the interviewer said to Billy Graham, hey, Billy, it's in front of a national audience. You are 80 years old. You've been in the public limelight your entire life and you've never had a scandal. You've had a history of integrity. You've had a great marriage and you've had financial integrity. How have you managed never to have a scandal? And then Billy Graham answered by quoting a verse from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He said this, the temptations that you have are the same ones that all people have, but you can trust God. He will not let you be tempted more than you can stand. When you are tempted, notice when, not if, God will also give you a way to escape. Then you will be able to stand it. And this is called God's sustaining grace. This is a terrific, fantastic promise. It says here that God will never allow you more temptation than He'll give you the strength to bear up. So, there's a big implication for this. You see it coming, don't you? 
When you try and say, well, I just couldn't help myself, you're not telling the truth. Because the truth of God's word says, yes, you could. I will always provide a way of escape. It may mean change the channel. It may mean run out of the office. It may mean that. It may be change the way you're thinking, but He will provide a way of escape. So God's sustaining grace helps me stand when I am tempted. And I'll never encounter a situation that I won't be able to overcome by His sustaining grace. The second, God's sustaining grace helps me stand when I am dog tired. Life, friends, can be exhausting. And it requires strength when you're trying to do the right thing rather than the easiest thing. There's a difference, big difference. You can easily coast through life doing the easiest thing. Easy. But when you're coasting, by definition, you're always going slightly downhill. On the other hand, when you try to do the right thing, that requires strength. Because it's tough moving against the flow of culture. I laughed. Even Bruce's mum said, he's always Bruce to me. I don't care what anybody else calls him. Some of you understand what I'm talking about there. Going against the flow of culture. God says this, let us not grow weary in doing right, for we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. But where do you get the power to do the right thing if you don't even feel like doing it and sometimes you're dead tired? You know what, sometimes this may shock you, but I may not want to be nice to some people who call me up, especially at dinner time say, would you like to hear about the deal we've got for you? Sometimes I really don't feel like being very nice. I want to be grouchy and say, don't you know this is a family dinner time? In fact, I don't answer the phone anymore now. That's what we're going to answer the phone for. If it's important, sometimes I, this may shock you too, I may want to be grouchy to people who are rude to me and react back and give them what I think. I really want to do that sometimes. But where do you get the energy and the self-control to do the right thing? The Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 1.21, it is God who gives you the ability to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and has identified us as His own by placing His Holy Spirit in our lives, in our hearts. So if you circle the Holy Spirit and stand firm and draw a line between them, these two go together. The Holy Spirit is the one who energises you to stand with endurance. I love that word, endurance. To do His will, not by your own willpower. Because we are fickle sometimes. Moses was a man with great persistence in the Bible. He had incredible endurance. He spent 40 years in the back of Ekatahuna, effectively, looking after a few scrawny sheep in the desert, in Midian. 40, we say it quickly. That's a long time to be waylaid. But God uses him powerfully. Then he spent 40 years wandering around the desert with a bunch of spiritual babies who were always complaining. 
He had endurance. How did he not give up? How did he not get tired and quit and say, God, get another leader for this guys? The Bible says that God's sustaining grace in his life empowered him. That's how you keep on going when you're tired. God wants to give you his power to do his will. Now, Philippians 2.13 says this, for God is at work within you to giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. Look at that. But first of all, it's God who's doing it. It is So when you are motivated to do the right thing for God, that is, you can say, well, this is me. It's God's Holy Spirit in you, motivating, giving the will and the power to do His good, to do His good purpose. Now, the Christian life, friend, is not a matter of willpower, your willpower, but it's a matter of God's will and God's power. That's the difference. Religion's all about your willpower. Christianity is about God's will and God's power to do that. And God will never ask you to do something He doesn't give you the power to do. Ever. We sung about the sun this morning and just pointed to, we pointed to the, one, of, as one of His attributes, God's, how He made creation. I just did a bit of, for fun, looking at God's power in a way that made a bit of sense to me. Would you agree that God has more power than you? Of course, obviously, God made the sun. Do you know that it produces more power in a single second than all of human races used throughout all of history? You get a Wikipedia, actually, which points you to the NASA site. Wikipedia is pretty average, but NASA is pretty good. It says this, for those of you technically minded and some of you are physicists, and I appreciate this stuff, it says the sun's output is 3.8 times 10 to the 33 ergs a second. That's about five times 10 to the 33 or whatever. How much is that, in other words? It's enough energy to melt a bridge, you'll get this, two miles wide, a mile thick, and extend all the way from the earth to the sun in one second. That's a lot of power. In one second. And how long has that been going? Who made that? So the cause is always greater than the effect. So that gives you some inkling into how much power God has got. There's another way. By the way, you need some power? Plug into the source of all power. He'll give you the will and he'll give you the power to handle it. And he'll also give you with that the humility. I will energize those of you who trust me, he says. I'll give you the power, the sustaining power. Not just when I'm tempted, not just when I'm tired, but third, God's sustaining grace gives me the power to keep going even when I'm troubled. In other words, when I have problems, when I have difficulties, I think back to my friend, Brett. I think back to other friends who've dealt with health issues or family issues. Again, Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. He said, expect it. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be knocked off your stride. Don't be knocked out of the race by the pressures of work, the persecution, you're going to have difficulties. You're going to have obstacles, he says. You'll have situations that you can't handle, but he says, I'll give you the power. Now, there are all kinds of trouble. There's kinds of trouble that blow you away. Kind of like a wind, like, Other ones that weigh you down like a couple of sacks of concrete on your back. 
They just weigh you down. And there's other ones that just whoosh, pull out, feel like the rug's been pulled out from underneath you. But probably the most difficult kind of trouble to handle are those problems in life that are unplanned, they are unrelenting. In other words, they never quit. And thirdly, they're undeserved. Now, some things I bring on myself. I make a mess, I've got to clean it up. I don't mind handling those problems that I created, but the most difficult problems are seemingly the unfair ones. When you are the innocent party, what happened? You didn't plan it, you didn't feel you deserved it, you didn't ask for it or cause it. Those are the hard problems to handle, especially if they're unrelenting. If the problem's only a month or two months or six months or even a year, yeah, can probably handle that in my own strength. But if they just go on and on, what do you do in those situations? When you get dealt one of those cards? Well, first, you stop playing the if only game. If only you had different parents. Or if only you'd married somebody else. That doesn't solve your problem and it won't ease your pain. Instead, you need to focus on Christ and focus on a sustaining power because the Bible says in Isaiah 41, don't worry because I am with you. Don't be afraid because I am your God. I will make you strong. I will help you. I will support you with my right hand. That saves you. Think about that. If he saves you, what's all this other stuff? This is eternal. This is temporal. Circle all those things that God has promised for you in that one verse. He says there, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna make you strong and I will help you. You see, the source of help is in Him. I will support you, I will save you. Psalm 46 verse one goes on to say, God is our refuge and our strength. Always ready to help in our times of trouble. And boy, sometimes you seem to go through seasons of trouble. That's how you get God's sustaining grace. God is our refuge and our strength and He's ready to help in our times of trouble. What do you do when you can't fix an unfixable problem or solve an unsolvable riddle or change a seemingly unchangeable circumstance or control something that deeply hurts in your life? The only way I know to do this is to throw myself on the sustaining grace of God. See, our culture, on the other hand, tries to teach us, well, I'm the master of my own fate. Well, actually, that's just quite, not quite true. You don't control quite a few major events in your life. You can't control everything. You didn't control where you were born or when you were born or to which parents you'd be born to or which country. And you don't know hardly anything what's going to happen to you in the future. You have no clue and neither do I. Only God does between now and especially when you die. And one day you will realise that there are limitations in your life that you and I can't control. That's often called a midlife crisis. And one day you wake up and you realise that you're not God and the things in this life that we can't control. So what do you do when it hurts so bad and you can't change it? You rely on the sustaining arms and grace of God. How do I get it? How do I get that kind of grace to keep on going in spite of my temptations and trials and troubles and tiredness? You do four things. Number one, you call out for God's help. 
call out. Now, as long as you pretend self-sufficiency, you're gonna short circuit God's power in your life. See, there's a wonderful verse and it says this, God gives grace to the humble, but He is opposed to the proud. He says, do it yourself. You need to admit your inadequacy and say, God, I can't handle this. And you cry out for God's help. Not in some perfunctory type of language. Again, the Bible says God gives grace to the humble. Circle humble. So give yourself completely to God. Completely. Not eight tens, not even nine tens, completely. Draw close to Him, God. And God will draw close to you. That's how it works. Notice who gets the grace. It's the humble. Interesting reading yesterday, an article um, in Forbes magazine from, how, uh, from CEO of Starbucks. One of the things that he was being accoladed for or getting accolades for was the fact that other people felt he was incredibly humble. Humility and character were two attributes. I was in a meeting, this business meeting this week when things like generosity, humility, arrogance has no place in Starbucks, let alone in our lives. In my old company, arrogance was sought out. If it was unable to be untrained, it had to be let go of fast. People value teachableness, humility, not expecting other people to carry your bags. Humility. God gives grace to the humble. So give yourself completely to God. Draw close to God and God will draw close to you. So you draw near to God and you cry out to Him. Pray to God. Pray earnestly. Pray fervently with heart and passion behind it. For goodness sake. Pray passionately with integrity. God, this hurts. God doesn't want to hear a legal treatise. Or some, oh, almighty, omnipotent God, all those things are true. But when you're in pain, he gets it. To get an idea of this, read the Psalms. When David was in pain, he just told it what it was, unbellished, unvarnished, ungarnished. David calls out for God. You can read that. And the way he prays, you can learn from the way. And that man was, said, he had a heart after God. He was authentic. Wasn't by prepared speech. It was authentic. Second, you need to fill your mind with God's word. Let the author of that wonderful book, the Bible, comfort you. Let him strengthen you. Let him soothe your freaking out mind. I know how that feels. When I'm feeling tingly, I'm feeling that stressed. Let him soothe you and then let him give him the, you the energy to keep moving forward. Get into the Bible every day of your life. Get into a modern translation. Fire the King James at the back door. That was way back. And begin to get the Bible in. I would recommend the NIV with a life application or the New Living Translation. It's our language. David prays this. 
I mean, he's not mucking around here. He says this, I am completely discouraged. He said, I've had it. I don't know what I do. Then he says, revive me. How? By watching TV? (laughs) Revive me by your word. That's what he says here. You need to look to God. He's the only one who can see the future. He's the only one that can change you, give you a will and the power to change and to help you with sustaining strength. The answer, friends, is contrary to Obi-Wan Kenobi. The answer is not within you. You need to look outside of yourself to your Creator who made you with a plan and a purpose. So call out for God's help. Fill your mind with God's Word. Replace the lies and the untruths of the world and replace it with God's Word. Third, accept support from God's people. The Bible says this, accept support from God's people by helping each other with your troubles. You will truly obey the law of Christ. In other words, when we help people with their burdens, we are doing Christ's work. That's a very important work. What is the law? The law is love your neighbour as yourself. That's a great, and the reason why it's called great, it's very important. The great commandment. And now if you don't have some strong Christian friends, some mature believers, and you're not in some small group where you can get some feedback, you can learn together and support each other when the crisis is on, you, my friend, are missing out. God never meant you to go through life on your own. You are not a lone ranger. And God will allow weaknesses in your life so that we realise how much we need each other. For the first half of my life, I thought it was quite self-sufficient. I don't need anybody else. That's the way I grew up. But as I've come to know the Lord more, I realise... I need every one of you. I need other people in my life. Because nobody's perfect. So you probably need to accept the help and support of other people, God's people. Four, hold on to God's promises. I found often when I'm in the cactus, Eventually, God will speak to me through His Word and He'll give me some word and a promise which will sustain my heart and I hold on to that for dear life. There are over 7,000 in the Bible and here's one of them, which I love. He gives strength to the weary and He increases the power of the weak. Even youth, young fellas, grow tired. But those who hope in the Lord, circle this, hope in the Lord, will renew their strength. I'll have that, thanks. They will soar on wings like eagles, nice and easy. Not stressed, choked out by the cares and the worries of this world, and they will walk and not faint. So the Bible encourages us to keep your eyes focused on the hope of heaven, not just on the here and now. Keep your hope in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4.18 So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, in other words, on the other hand, we look forward to what we have not yet seen for the troubles we see will soon be over. 
but the joys to come will last forever. That's encouraging. In heaven, there's going to be no more problems, no more pain, no more suffering, no more grief, no more messed up lives. In heaven, we're going to have whole bodies again that work perfectly. So where do you need God's sustaining grace today? Where are you discouraged and feeling like giving up? Are you being tempted? Are you being pounded and can't get rid of a persistent temptation? Or are you tired? And say, I don't think I can put another foot in front of my next one. Or you're feeling like you're going through an almighty trial. And tension fills your home. And troubles that you can't fix. No matter what you're going through, God's grace will sustain you if you let it. I know this Paul. He says, I begged the Lord three times to take this problem away from me. But he said to me this, my grace is enough for you. When you are weak, my power is made perfect in you. And when you go through a problem that you can't fix, don't give up. Look up. Let's pray. I'd like to close today with a special prayer for those who are discouraged. You may be struggling and overwhelmed with just worry. Jesus can fix that. You may be struggling with guilt because of a persistent temptation and shame. He can handle that. Today, some of you may be dealing with depression or financial conflict or World War Three going on inside your own home. Or you could be dealing with unemployment or infertility or something that you cannot handle. He can handle it. So why don't you tell Him right now what's discouraging you? Jesus Christ, you know every single need represented here today. You know our hurts and our fears. You know our struggles and our sins. You know our loneliness and our grief. For those here this morning who are hurting, Lord, may they find relief in you. For those who are discouraged, may they experience your sustaining grace. May they sense your arms of love wrapping around them today. 
For those who are carrying heavy loads, may they understand and experience your power and your peace, which is available to them freely. For those who are tempted or addicted, for those who can't stop what they don't want to do, may they find strength and a way of escape that you give to them, Lord. For those who are depressed, Father, would you restore their joy in you? For those who are separated from a loved one, those that are in conflict with a husband or a wife or a teenager, may they find restoration and reconciliation. For those who are guilty and ashamed, help them to sense the freedom of the forgiveness that you freely offer. So graciously give when they confess their sin. Father, for those today who are lacking purpose and meaning and salvation, may they find that all in you. Now it's your turn to pray. Why don't you pray in your mind? Jesus Christ, I need your sustaining grace in my life. If you've never asked Him for His saving grace, say, I need you, Lord, to save me and then to sustain me. I am giving myself to you today. Help me to cry out to you for help and not to try and do it all myself. Help me to fill my mind with your word and to accept and receive support from your people. And help me to hold on to the promises so you richly give to us, Lord. Thank you because of you, I'm going to make it to that finish line in heaven. Not because of my performance, but because of your sustaining grace. I love you and I want to trust you in the powerful name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen.